0: All right, all right. Who's excited to be here today? How many of you guys are anticipating something today? Like you come hungry, you come ready. I love this new phrase that I heard like the, the next generation say. Like I don't get ready, I stay ready. I don't get ready, I stay ready, and that's that's how I feel uh, bringing the word this morning. I'm talking to a crowd that doesn't get ready; they stay ready. They're ready for what God. Has for him this morning. You guys uh, enjoying the 21 days of prayer and fasting we're in. How many of you guys are loving this season we're in? I, it's, it's, it's a great way to start 2021. I decided to fast a few things. I fasted working out, I fasted salads, uh, I fasted all vegetables. God's really been speaking to me in powerful ways. He said, You need to get that stuff out of your life and return back to like hamburgers and pizza. And it's been a really profound time. God's blessing me in amazing ways. Uh, No, the fast has been good. Um, Hope you're enjoying it and hoping that God is speaking to you. I want to share a word this morning that I felt like the Lord put on my heart. I've actually preached this particular passage a number of different times. It's one that I really love and have cherished. And when Pastor Doug asked me to deliver this message, I felt like the Lord gave me a totally different perspective on this story. It's the, it's the story of the prodigal son. We're going to get into it in just a moment. But the title of the message this morning is Who Sets the Terms? Who, who sets the terms in our relationship with God? Here's the story. It's Luke chapter 15. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. He's saying, God, or excuse me, he's saying, Father, I want my inheritance and I want it now. I don't want to wait I know what you have, and I want it now. He says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between the two brothers. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to set his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Any of y'all ever been desperate? You're willing to eat whatever you can find. I like to say it like this sometimes hunger is the best spice. <laughs> when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to share your word. God, but this opportunity for each and every one of us to experience your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts. I hope that you would speak to minds and I hope and pray, God, that you would speak to situations. Maybe situations that have felt dire or they have felt desperate or they have felt like there is no answer, there's no solution, there's only confusion or there's only static. Lord, I pray that you would deliver what you need to deliver this morning. God, I pray that minds and hearts are open to hear from you and that you would do what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's go to work. Here we go. Jesus is explaining something really powerful here in Luke chapter 15. There's three stories that Jesus is describing to his followers. And I believe that Jesus, what he's doing here is he's unpacking his mission statement. What do I mean by that? Jesus boiled his life and ministry down to one phrase. He boiled it down to one phrase, and this is where he's unpacking it. The phrase that Jesus says that is his mission statement, because what a mission statement is is where you take everything that you feel like you're supposed to do in life or an organization or a company, and you try and boil it down to one phrase so that everyone can understand clearly what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And Jesus has this mission statement And he says, I came to do one thing. And everything in Jesus' life can be boiled down to this one phrase. He says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in Luke chapter 15, there's three stories where Jesus is breaking down three different lost items. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. So you really get to understand what the heart and the passion is of Jesus because he's unpacking his mission statement in these three three stories. But there's something that's different about this story from the other two. The first two talk about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And then it talks about the managers of those particular items going out to search for said sheep and said coin. But in this story, the son doesn't get searched out. He, he doesn't get pursued. The father hands over his inheritance to him and he doesn't chase after him. He doesn't spend every waking hour looking for him, tracking him on GPS, trying to figure out where has my son gone. He lets him go. And, 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 and the thing that the Lord spoke to me, and, and I want to extract something from this story because there's so many ways that you can, you can view this story. You could view it as the son was rebellious. That's been preached a thousand times. You could see that the son was troubled and he was disillusioned, he had his problems and he needed to take something and get away and he was misunderstood and he needed to go to a place and find himself. Yes, that's true. But another thing that you could recognize in this story, and this is what was, stood out to me, is that the son wasn't pursued. The father didn't go after him. And that could be viewed as the son was making a cry for attention. He was, he he is saying, he, he makes this big dramatic storm out the house. Give me what's mine. I want it. And I'm out. Really not knowing what he's doing because later on in the story we find out he he had to come to his senses. He wasn't even thinking clearly. But he this could be viewed as this is cry for attention. I, I, I wanna make all this noise so that someone will see me and come pursue me. You know what's so good about this story is that the father, it's so easy for us as human beings to look at the son who squandered his wealth. He, he rebelled against what was good and, and it's easy for us to throw judgment towards him. Say, how dare you? You took something and you wasted it and then you, you sat in this sloth with pigs and, you, and then you want a handout. But the father... His goodness is revealed throughout, he he has compassion for him through the whole thing. He doesn't judge him. He He actually allows him to take everything that he had worked so hard for and take it and waste it. But you could listen to that story and you could begin to project your own story into it. And I wanna say something that's, That's going to be a little bit heavy, but I just, this is where I felt the Lord told me to take this story. Is that you could see that this son's cry for attention and the father not going to pursue him, that this son was neglected. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life where you've said, I've wanted certain things or I've been treated certain ways. And I've made cries for attention and no one's seen me and they've never pursued me. And so when I hear a story like this, all I see is this son wasn't, no one went after him. And it looks like my story. He was overlooked, he wasn't pursued, he he wasn't chased down, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't ran after. You see neglect. The thing about it is is that it has different levels and different variations of how you can experience. It can, neglect can be real, it can be perceived, it can be exaggerated or it can be imagined. But you can feel something so deeply. Maybe it's something that's been triggered in you. Maybe something you've experienced. Maybe something that was never dealt with throughout your life. And you hear a story like this and it begins to remind you of when you wanted someone to chase you down and that never happened. Let me, let me get just a little bit deeper on this. I know that we say, and this is true, this is so true, that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. But how many of you guys have ever been in your walk with God where you felt like he wasn't there? And he didn't show up. You know, sometimes in church, we feel like we just have to say the right thing because that's how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to be in this mode where it's like I gotta have all this faith just to prove to everyone that I've got this faith. But then on the inside and at home and in your prayer time and in your car and in your broken places, you're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you chasing me down? Let me start by saying... Because I really feel like there's a remedy in this situation. I really feel like there's a new way to perceive how God pursues you and how you're meant to be pursued. But let me start by saying when the son runs off and the father doesn't chase him, because the father knows what's going to happen, and the son could be crying out for attention, God, I want you to come pursue me. Father, I want you to come after me. And he doesn't. You know why? Because God knows that pity is not a solution. That when you're crying out for something and you want people's pity or you want God's pity, that will leave you incomplete. When you want pity and you're crying out for it and you're hungry for it and you don't receive it or you get it, you realize it just leaves you emptier. Pity is not a solution. Pity will not bring healing or restoration into your life. It may be a momentary fix, but pity does not bring what you need. And that's why the father doesn't start to pursue him. Because he knows that the son hasn't realized what he needs yet. Pity's not a solution. Jumping into verse 14, I want to I want to work through this story just a little bit. And there's a there's a place I really want to arrive. Sometimes sermons or messages are like a meal. These are kind of the appetizers to start off with. We'll get to the main entree. But here, I want to I highlight a few things. Because it says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he had wasted everything. He would spent all he had. The inheritance was already gone. And dysfunction can quickly and easily escalate. It can get out of hand so fast that when you start living in this wasteful living and you just throw off all regard and you spend everything with no thought about tomorrow, that when he's already wasted everything and then a famine comes, he has no foundation. He has nothing left. He has nothing to stand on. Dysfunction can get out of hand real quick. Let me say it like this too, spending everything out into the world, like spending all your energy, sowing all your seeds in worldly stuff, worldly attributions, worldly ambitions, when you spend it out in that way, it will leave you empty. When you try and pursue all that the world has to offer and use your inheritance, the gifts and the talents that God's given you, just for worldly pursuits, you think that it's going to fill something inside of you. But guess what? It'll just leave you empty. And then when hard times come, like COVID-19, you're even emptier. Because what you thought was going to give you life only robbed your life. It only steals from you. The Bible says it like this, what is it for me to gain the whole world and lose my soul? What is it to gain this whole world and lose my soul? It just creates a a deeper void. So then he goes on, he says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed some pigs. He, He gave himself to a farmer. He said, I'm so broke that, I, like, I came from a family with, with inheritance and wealth and I, and I had a life that was planned on I me mean, and I wasted that in a moment. So I'm going to, I'm going to hire myself out here. And looking through the lens of neglect, that when you allow neglect to write your story, when you allow it to be the thing, That defines who you are, guess what? You will sell your yourself out for less than you're worth. He's a man of stature. He comes from a family. And here he is feeding pigs. That when you that when neglect is robbed from you and you and you don't ever work through what that does, you will actually see yourself for less than what you're worth. Because you've allowed other people to write your story. The fact that someone rejected you, someone didn't accept you, someone denied you, someone blocked you on Facebook, you'll allow them to write your story. And guess what? You become less than what you're worth. You'll sell yourself short because someone else or something else or some broken moment has defined your story. Skipping along to verse 17, this is where it starts to get really good. It says, when he came to his senses, I don't know if it was the smell of pigs. I don't know if it was like the life that he experienced. I don't know what it was, but he he was so hungry that he was willing to eat what the pigs were eating. And you know what's funny about that also is that... <laughs> The people he was working for denied him of that. They said, "You can't." Sorry, that's for the pigs. You can't have that. That's like below rock bottom. Like rock bottom is one thing, but when you when when you're feeding pigs and you're denied the same food that they're getting, and you're so hungry, and they won't even let you have that. You have hit a place of a real crossroads. I remember my crossroads moment. I remember it. I'll never forget it. Broken. Looking in the mirror. Weeping because I I couldn't stand the person I saw. I realized that the, the decisions that I had made over the last few years had finally caught up to me. And created this person that I couldn't stand to look at. And when you're in those moments, it's a crossroad. Because you can set up camp there, and that can be your story for the rest of your life. You can become bitter. You can be full of hate. You can, be like the, you can let the pain manifest in your life in so many dysfunctional ways. Or you can say, there's, there's got to be a different way here. Because it says he comes to his senses. And he realizes That his father's goodness is something that was always there and always available, but he never saw it. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You know, it's really easy to preach right here in this moment. I've done it before, but I want to take it a little bit deeper. It's really easy to preach, and this is true. The Bible says that for the goodness of God leads to repentance. It's his goodness. It's realizing that here I am, made a mess of my life, I'm in a broken situation, and how good is my father, that's going to lead me back to him. That's the story of the prodigal son. That's the path that he begins to walk down. He realizes, I have destroyed everything, but I remember even my father's servants have extra food to spare, and I can't even eat from the pig trough. But this right here, this moment, it's the opening. You see, God's just looking for an opening. That's what's different from the other two stories is that God pursues the sheep. And what I think the sheep is, he's, he's straight away, the things of the world have distracted him and he's kind of just gone off in ignorance like a sheep. And then the lady with the lost coin, she's lost this coin and, and, and Jesus pursues the coin because what I think the coin was mismanaged. It's like when people have really done you wrong and they've abused you and they've hurt you and God says, I'm going to go looking for that one because I'm going to rescue that person. But this story right here, God's describing when the opening happens. God's showing in this story that he's not going to force himself upon you. The Bible says in Revelations that he stands at the door of your heart and he just knocks. He just knocks. And all he needs is a sliver of an opening. A sliver of an opening. Because the son starts to get pursued by the father. The father chases after him. And you're going to see in just a moment what happens. But this is the moment where everything shifts. And where I felt like to take this story this morning is for some of you, and maybe many of you, you need to reevaluate the father. What do I mean by that? Maybe you have projected an earthly father onto a heavenly father. Maybe you've you've been neglected or hurt in so many different ways that you would never allow yourself to be open to another relationship because the damage has been done on the inside of you. Maybe a perfect father could never be realized in your life because of an imperfect relationship. And I'm here to say, this is where you have to reevaluate. Let me say it like this, that if you've lived with neglect, if you've, if you've lived and processed and dealt with neglect in some area of your life, the answer to neglect is not to neglect others or neglect God. That's never the answer because if, you're gonna, if you've been neglected and you experience neglect and you stay in that place... Then all you're going to do is deny yourself the healing that could enter in. You could deny yourself the breakthrough. Because if that's been part of your story, guess what? There is a moment that's vulnerable. And it's right here it's where this guy allows himself to be open. He allows himself to be open. And I'm sorry if you were hurt. I truly am, but I have to tell you that if you wanna get breakthrough in this area, you have to allow yourself to be open. That, that, that staying cold and staying walled off and staying guarded and staying defensive will only make your life worse. Because you know what happens? That moment and that, oh, this is so good. That moment when you experience neglect or those things that you were neglected from, if you allow those to define your moment, it gets to write your story for the rest of your life. And it's time for you to break that. It's time for you to no longer allow that thing to continue to speak to you or to live for you. Because God says, if you allow me an opening... If you'll be vulnerable for one moment, if you'll expose yourself in one simple act of humility and say, you know what, I've been hurt, I've been through stuff, I've, I've, I've experienced pain. But God, I, I realize that in somewhere in my heart that there's, a, there's, a, just, there's a small thought that believes your goodness is so much better than all my badness and all my hurt. It's, it's, it's an opening, it's a moment. It's a moment. Because I'm, again, I'm sorry if you've been hurt. But guys, nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Going down to verse 19, it says, this is oh, this is where it gets really good. How many, how many of y'all love the word? Come on, how many of y'all love, because it's so good. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's realizing how the father has food to spare for his servants, and he's in his situation, he's like, I'm gonna go back there. And he starts telling himself, he's, he's gotta like work himself up. It's like, he's gonna, he's gonna walk back to his father's side. It's like the walk of shame. He's gonna, he's gonna walk it back and kinda, kinda just, you know, come back to the father. And he's been rehearsing this story that he's gonna tell him. Like, I know I wasted everything. I know I'm a disappointment. I know I could never measure up again. I, I know that I wasted what you've given me. I know that you had plans for me, and I squandered that. Like I, I, I know that I'm a failure. Like I, I, I know that. I've realized that. Like I can't even be your son anymore. Like, would you, would you, would you at least consider the possibility of taking me on as a servant? He wants to set the terms. You know, sometimes neglected people feel like they get to determine their unworthiness. They get to see things about themselves that God would never say. Like, I'm not worthy of being something, so like, would you at least consider me in, in this category? And they try and start rewriting the story. Like, I'm no longer your son. They... they We've been in this return series. This is where I want to kind of tie all this together. Like sometimes we we want to we want to define or condition the return. Like this is how I'm coming back, God. Like this is what it's going to look like because this is what I've experienced and I know that I'm low and I know that I'm, you know, a mess and I know that I don't deserve and like I know I, if I could only be your servant because I'm not worthy of being your child. Like we we come with this nonsense. And we try and set the terms. We try and define the relationship. And the son starts coming back to him. And he starts walking back with this with this broken story, like I'm not worthy, I'm not. And you know what? The father's not hearing it. Someone needs to know this morning that the father's not hearing that sad story that you're trying to repeat to him over and over. But someone needs to know this morning that the father's not trying to hear you excuse your unworthiness. Are you trying to justify your unworthiness? He's not trying to hear it. You know why? Because right after this, it's it says that the son said to him, Father, if I've sinned against you in heaven, all this stuff. And he he, he's repeated the story in his head, and now he's saying it out to the son. The father doesn't even acknowledge it. You know, some of the stuff you're saying to God in prayer, God's like, I'm not even trying to hear that right now. Like, don't even bring that noise in my house. Don't even start with that nonsense. You serious right now? He says, he's saying, but he said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring, put it on his finger. sandals, like get the fattened calf, get him dripping, get him get him set for the night, let's party. My son is back. And it's time for some of you to realize that you've tried to condition the relationship or set the terms with God. And God's saying, I need to put a ring on you. I need to clothe you with righteousness. I need to show you that you're worthy because you're my child and you're back. I don't care the condition of the return. I'm just glad you're back at my doorstep. You try and condition this return, how dare you? I'm not hearing that stuff. Some of you need to know, it says we don't receive a spirit of slavery. We have received the spirit of adoption. You need to know... That God has received you in the spirit of adoption. So you come here and there's a group of you. And this kind of relates to the other brother because there's another brother in the story. Some of you are, are the big producers. You're the overachievers. You're the high earners. And you try and bring that same thing to God. And God's saying, guess what? That doesn't work with me. I need you to realize that I own the relationship that I set the terms. You don't, rec- you, don't, you, don't get, you don't get God by how good you are, how good you perform. You get it because you receive the spirit of adoption, that he found you in your brokenness. He found you in your prodigal moment. He found you in your wasteful living. And he says, none of that matters because I love you with all of heaven. I love you with everything I have and nothing can stop it. Not your good, your bad, your ugly, your misfortunes, the things you thought you threw away. Because guess what, the father in this story is the one who wasted his return. He's the one that gave away his inheritance. He had worked so hard for it and the son squandered it. And the father's not sitting here saying, oh, guess what, this is what you owed me. I've been thinking about interest and all the stuff. Like, I I made an investment into you and it didn't really work out. Guess what, all of God's investments work out. All of them. All of them. God is the only one in the universe who can take all of heaven, put it inside of you, you waste it, destroy the investment, and he comes back profitable on the other side. Because God will go at any length to recover you. Any length. He doesn't care what it costs. He doesn't care what it costs. And some of y'all have been living with this liabilities and assets thing in, in your relationship with God. Like, well, I did all this, so I gotta do this to fix this, and it's penance and all. and, 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 and that's, There's no grace in that. There's no grace. Guess what? Grace will always feel lopsided. We don't deserve it. Can't earn it. It's always lopsided. The scales always outweigh you. So who's setting the terms? You know, we've been in this prayer and fasting season. And it's really easy sometimes for, for us as, as people and human beings to want to perform. Like I got to pray this much, which prayer is good. But you have to realize like the, you gotta realize the paradigm. Prayer is not just, it's not just you like going and getting God into your life. It's you submitting and saying, you know what, I'm a child and you're the father. And I'm gonna rest in that. And because of that, there's, there's trust and there's appreciation and there's gratitude. But you don't own the relationship. When you're in the word or you're even in church and you're worshiping, it's, it's not a performance. It's an adoration. The Bible says, this is one of my favorite verses and it's been really speaking to me this year. It says, but I press on that I may lay hold, that's our part, of which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He's laid hold of me. That takes the burden of responsibility off of me. Because the son walks back and he says, here, let, like, let me be a servant. Like, I know I can't be a son anymore. And the father again saying, like, put the robe on and put the, put the ring on him, put the sandals, get the and calf, let's throw a party. Because the father has defined the relationship. He has said, I am the father, you are the son. I'm going to set the terms. I'm going to lay hold of you. And then we lay hold back. To which Christ Jesus has said to us. It says when he puts, the, he puts the ring and the sandals and the robe on him. This is just a little side note. It says, bring the and calf and kill it. Let's, let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Again, this is just a little side note. But this, this young man, his life has just totally changed. He has just received information that is totally contrary to everything he thought he deserved. And, I, and the father is trying to celebrate this moment. Let me, let, me just, let me just give you just a quick little like plug real quick. This is like when you receive the word, like just in church, the, the, the word is, is salve to our soul. It is healing to our bones. It is a new life. It is a promise. It is something that God wants to enact in your life. It would, it would behoove all of us. And I know I'm preaching to the crowd I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because I just heard y'all ranting and raving just a little bit. But I think 2021's a year for us to take the celebration to another level. Who's with me in this place? Because let me let me say when, when, when he gets this word and he gets this new promise and he gets this new identity, the father wants to celebrate it and the son has to join in. Like, you'd be stupid to be like, no, I'm good. You can save the party, save the stuff. I'll go eat the pig sloth. Like, I'll be a, you'd be stupid to do that. Embrace the party. Embrace the celebration. Embrace the promise. Embrace what God has for you. Because guess what? You connect yourself to what you celebrate. You will join where you give your jubilee. You, You actually align yourself. When you give yourself celebration to something, you connect yourself to it. That's why it's so good. When you're here in church and you hear something that resonates with you and you celebrate that word, you join that word. You connect yourself to that. You're saying, you know what? I'm gonna own that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna join the party. I'm not gonna sit over there in the corner and be like, well, I guess I didn't deserve that because of all my stuff and everything I've been through. I don't, I don't no, 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 no. Own it. Let that thing be actualized in your life. Join the party. Celebrate the word and the promise that God has for you. Because here the sun comes in verse 24. He says, Worship team, you guys can, can or keys can come behind me. Y'all know when they start the keys, it gets way more spiritual in here. Like, like the anointing level just goes. That's a preacher trick right there. It says, For this. The son of mine was dead. I know that moment. I know that moment. I'll never forget that moment. But that moment pales in comparison to that moment. Pales in comparison to that moment. Says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Mission statement, mission accomplished. So they began to party. I want you guys to stand to your feet right here. Because maybe you've lived a life in the neglect and the rejection or being overlooked has dominated. Way too much of your life than it's ever meant to be. And something's opening this morning. Something's like cracking just a little bit. Maybe it's a space in your heart. Maybe it's a place in your spirit that's just opening just a slight bit. That's all God needs. And this idea of something that was dead and I'm dragging along with me, I'm dragging this carcass of dead stuff along with me, and there, and it could be alive. This is the this is the whole mission of Jesus. He came to seek and save which is lost, so that it could be made new. I'm reading this book right now, and it's all about goals and habits, and it's really really good. But one of the things it talks about is how to actually make change happen in your life, and it comes at it from. A clinical perspective, it comes at it from a behavioral science perspective, it comes at it from like cognitive therapy perspective. But it talks about change happening in your life and it it makes this really incredible distinction between outcome-based change, where it's like, I I wanna be this, like I wanna wanna look like this, I wanna achieve this, to identity-based change. I'm gonna be this, this is who I am now. And there's this massive difference between those two. Guess what? The same is true for you and I. Because you know what? You, you might be living a life where you're trying to escape so much that's happened to you. That you've lived your life in such a way where I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to do that again. No one's going to rob me from this again. Like, and you live your life in reaction to everything that's happened to you in your past. And you never get to live into what God has for you. Come on, someone in this room I know this morning, you've been living a life where I'm not going to be this person because this person did this to me. And bitterness starts to set it. And all you're doing is living away from something instead of living into something. And it's time for you to realize that God has a promise for you to live into. He has a promise for you to live into. And instead of trying to allow yourself this realization where I I don't want to live away from something, I want to live into something, Here's one closing thought is that God has so much to say about you and I, he wants to define us. And when you allow him to define you, it brings so much healing and restoration and breakthrough and life into you. And we cannot afford to live from experiences or thoughts are mindsets that are not from him. You you can't afford for yourself to let those thoughts of anything less than what he says about you start to write your story. The Bible says it like this. It says for us to cast down every thought that comes against the knowledge of God. So that old story, that old neglect, that old pain, that old rejection, all those defense mechanisms, they might begin to try and creep up in your mind the enemy try and might exacerbate those and say, you know what, this preacher guy in his skinny jeans, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's trying to bring some good news to your life. But you know what you've experienced. You know what you've lived through. And you can you could begin to allow those old ways and those old identities and those old patterns continue to rob from you. And guess what, God says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he's saying, I want to define you. I want to write the story. I want to be the thoughts that you think about. Cast down every thought that comes against the knowledge of what God says about you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this auditorium this morning. Every person online. Lord, I pray that you would do your work. Lord, I pray that they would do their business with you to to live the life that you have for them. God, I come against everything and every thought and every broken pattern that's trying to steal from them. I just sense this right now in my spirit. I sense this so heavily. And this is for someone I might call somebody out, but I just feel this right now so strong that you're just starting to discover what the enemy's tactics feel like. It says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to get you to replay those old dead thoughts. And what he's trying to do is continue for you to be familiar with the stuff that God's telling you to be foreign with that he wants you to be familiar with these broken lies, these insecurities, these weaknesses, these pains, these traumas, these tragedies, that God's saying, I have a whole another life for you. And some of you haven't realized the bait of the enemy. And this is a moment today where you get to say, I am no longer taking the bait, that God's gonna write my story. It's a new day. It's a new place. I want to make room for one other group here this morning. Church, keep your your eyes closed, your head bowed, just for for privacy, for anybody that wants to make this decision this morning. If you have never had a relationship with Jesus and you're hearing this story of grace and compassion and new life, and you're saying, I need this, I don't even know what it looks like yet, but I need it. I just want you to slip up your hand real quick so I can just pray for you. If you're here and you want to just make that decision, I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you up there. Anybody else? Hands up if you want to make that decision. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I thank you for your children coming home. Pray this out loud with me. Come on, church, let's all do this just in, just in camaraderie with these people. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life so that I could have life. Forgive me of all my stuff and I wanna be open to you and the promises you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, let's give it up this morning for decisions that were made, destinies changed, identities rewritten. Come on, keep giving it up, keep it up. This is life change it says all of heaven is celebrating this moment let's worship